Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Amen. We are now. If you were here and not been here, you kind of have been away for the summer. You have you have been somehow hiding in a hole or. Or something has taken place, and you're saying, what is going on at Bethel? What are they preaching on these days? Well, we are in the midst of a summer series, which is called Proverbs' Greatest Hits. And this has come to me as a result of, really, crisis and fatigue. That might be the best way to describe it. Praying and believing that God will do great things, and then coming to the realization that I don't have what it takes to see it done. And um, I think all of us come to that point, hopefully all of us come to that point where we realize, I can't do this without God. I need his wisdom. I need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. There is, there is a wisdom, a natural wisdom that comes that people gain through, through living and learning. And uh, some people gather this more than others. And I believe also that there is an inherited, inherit, inherited wisdom that comes when you accept Jesus as your Savior. When you make Jesus Lord of your life and biblical principles are applied to your life, I believe that there is an element of wisdom that comes with that. It is a smart thing to serve Jesus. And at the same time, I believe that there is what I will call an anointed wisdom. There is an anointed wisdom where God specifically shows up and gives answers for specific times. For times where he is, he is wanting to move. And, and maybe you're here and you're looking for that. Or maybe you are online listening this morning and, and you are needing that. And my fear is this, that we settle for one and two. We settle for the wisdom that we kind of gather and we settle for the wisdom that we get because we're serving Jesus. But there's something, and I believe Proverbs, Proverbs talks about this, that there is a wisdom that we need to kind of go for. And not just go for them when things are bad. Not just go for them when, 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 when the streets are narrow in our lives. And I believe this is an important thing. And I believe that the Spirit of God is giving this set of messages for such a time as this. There's a story in the book of Acts of a prophet who's named Agabus. And Agabus predicted, he, he prophesied that there would be a famine. And he said, hey... It's going to be a famine. We need to prepare ourselves for famine. I believe, as the Spirit of God speaks to me, that we will be entering a time where we're going to need wisdom. And it's going to be a wisdom that is going to have to be surpassed by our own smarts and by uh, the, the elementary things in terms of our faith. That God is calling us to dig down, and I believe that as a church, but I believe that individually as well. And so listen up. Maybe this is a hand grenade sermon. Maybe it's not for today, but, but as we go in, into the future. So, now most of us believe, and, and most of us believe correctly, that the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. But there was another author who had kind of added to the, the things. His name is Agur. And Agur um, is mentioned only in this place. The only time we hear this individual, this wise man called Agur, is in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if there's any other place in literature that we hear this individual. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit included some of his words for us today. Now, to hear some of his things, you go to chapter 30 
of the book of Proverbs. And you can tell that the language is different. When you start reading the book of Proverbs, you will see things written a certain way, and then all of a sudden, things just, just kind of look different in chapter 30. And Agur is kind of your practical guy, and he, he basically makes statements that, that you will never, ever be smarter than God. And there's some things that you won't understand. He's kind of the guy that said this, Hey, God, don't make me too poor, but don't make me too rich either. I don't want to be so poor that I try and break the law and I beg and all those things, but I don't want to be so rich that I depend on myself rather than you. Um, Maybe for those of you who are uh, proverb readers, you kind of recognize that. But by far, the thing that is so um, indicative of a guru is observations that he makes through lives, and he kind of talks about them in fours. Well, it starts out as a three, and then it turns into a four. You know, there are three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I don't understand. There are three things that the earth trembles under. Four that I can't, that that cannot bear up. And four things that are very small, but yet they're extremely wise. He he does these things in sets of four. And he kind of has this observation form of wisdom. And so I want to present one of these observations um, to you this morning, because I think it's very important for us today to kind of learn from this. And it's talking about the fact that big lessons will come from, from small creatures. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24. If you have your Bibles, turn them. If you have your Bible app, you can go on them. If you need to text right now, you can text because people will be thinking that you're, you're reading your Bible. I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, but let's start with... Um, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. And it says this. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Verse 27 goes on to say, locusts have no king, yet... They advance together in ranks. And verse 28 says that a lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. Now, if you remember this passage of Scripture as you've been reading, just kind of wave at me. I kind of remember reading that. It's kind of an interesting passage of Scripture. And it's interesting as, as Agur, the, the wise man, talking, talking about this, begins to give examples of wisdom. Now, usually when there is an example um, of wisdom, you begin to model up. In other words, basically, you take a look at something which is greater than yourself. Well, look at this person. Look what he accomplished. And this is how he accomplished it. And this is how wisdom is shown. Look at how this. And, and we kind of see ourselves looking up to other people who have achieved and done so many things. But Agur does the opposite. He says, well, if you really want to know about wisdom, sometimes you don't look up. Sometimes you need to model down. And there's something that is important for us to understand. And, and the, the things that he chooses are not really the most desirable. Every time I'm at a picnic, I don't say, oh, look at these lovely ants stealing all of my food. I'm just so glad that they're around crawling all over me. No. We shoo them off of us. We hate them. You know, chances are when you go home after work, you don't sit on the couch and start petting your pet hyrax. 
You know, unless, it's, unless your couch is made out of stones like the Flintstones, maybe you'll have a pet Hyrex, but chances are you won't. Not the most desirable pet. And if there is ever a grasshopper or a lizard in my house, I will tell you right now what will happen. There will be a shriek followed with my wife with a shoe in her hand, handing it to me and say, kill it, kill it now. Right? Come on, this is true. They're not the most desirable insects or creatures that you want. And, and there's something underlying in what Agur is saying. If you want to be wise, sometimes you need to humble yourself. Sometimes you need to take the little road to wisdom. And wisdom is a key ingredient, or sorry, humility is a key ingredient to wisdom. You need humility to gain wisdom. You utilize humility when you give wisdom, and you maintain humility as you grow in wisdom. Let me say that again for those who kind of take notes. You need humility to gain wisdom. You utilize humility to give wisdom, and you maintain humility as you grow in wisdom. Now, you may not know this, but there's a passage in the book of James, the last chapter, sorry, the last verse in, in James chapter 3. It says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be treated, full of mercy and good fruits. There's an element of wisdom in humility. And sometimes you don't have to look up to gain wisdom. Sometimes you need to look down to gain wisdom. And so if you give me a couple minutes, what I would like to do as I would like to kind of go through each one of these, because each one of them shows a lesson. Each one of them has a challenge, and you need to determine yourself which is the one that challenges you the most. The first one is what we will know as the ants, and it says basically that ants store up their food in the summer. Like an ant is aware of its season. We have to ask ourselves, are we aware of our season? You know, works, ants work today for tomorrow. Put it another way, an ant knows what time it is. You ever notice that sometimes we can be one-dimensional in the way we approach life? Like there are some people, and I have talked to them, and, and I know that you have talked to them, and the way they conduct their life and the way that they live their life is, is that they are living it through yesterday. They live through their life looking through the rearview mirror. Thinking about what used to happen. Thinking about the way that it was. And they look with fondness backwards. But then there are also a group of people who will live for today and for only today. And everything that they buy and everything that they earn and everything that they go to is to experience the moment today. It is all about today. And there are even people who will live for tomorrow. Things will be greater once I graduate. Oh. I'm just looking forward to things once I get married, once I pay off the house, once I retire. And we never ever get to the point where we're actually living in the now. We're just continually looking forward and trying to live in, in what will be. And the ant kind of begins to talk about this. And I think we can relate to the ant in the simplest because I think we've all read Aesop's fable about the ant who gathered during the summer and the grasshopper who played during the day and, and the ant was ready when winter came and the grasshopper was not ready and it was just a terrible thing. It just doesn't end well for the grasshopper. Um, 
And the the message is this. How you fare in the winter is determined by how you prepare in the summer. A wise person takes advantage of the summer because winter lies ahead. So it's basically about preparedness. But it's not just about preparedness. It's about understanding the resources which are important and harvesting them at the right time. Because if we look at this passage of Scripture, it seems simple. But I think we make two, two key mistakes when we look at the end. The first mistake is this. We take a look at it monetarily. Well, it's about earning things. It's about, it's about um, you know, making money now. It's about putting money in your pension. It's about money, money, money. And if you're here and you're a financial advisor, you're saying, Amen, Pastor, preach on. I need you to come with me and, and tell this to other people. And I absolutely will for a small price. Anyways. But you and I all know of people who are at the end of their life or are near the end of their life and they have a bazillion dollars in the bank. And as they approach winter, they're not prepared. Their family's a mess. There's a problem with bitterness and anger. There, there, is, there is a spiritual chasm in their life. What does the Bible say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. What is the guy going to give in exchange for souls? So it's not just about money. And some of the most important things that we, we gather for is not just money. It is the inner woman and it is the inner man that needs to be built up. It's not just monetary. The other mistake is this. We think of this linear. We think of this in this terms. Summer is when I'm young. Winter is when I'm old. Save up while I'm young and strong. And when I'm frail and weak in winter, I will be able to make it through. And there is an element of truth to that. But we all know this, that there are a number of summer times in our life and there are a number of winter times in our life. You will go through good times and you will go through harsh times. And it is equally important to prepare in the summertime moments in our lives to deal with the wintertime issues in our lives. It's huge. It's important. And it's a a mistake that we often make. And one thing is for certain. Winter is coming if it isn't already here. And what you take into winter are the provisions that you stored up in the summer. Right? It's true. You need to be like the ant and, 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 and realize that there's certain things that we need to take away while we have the opportunity. And so as a follower of Jesus, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is it that I need to prepare for? What are some of the things that are most important to me? Well, one thing I believe is the Word of God. I believe that many times, if people have come into my office and are going through difficulties, many times the problem is that they don't know the Word of God or they just have a poor theology or haven't really studied the Word of God at length. There's that scripture in Psalms chapter 1, verse 19, verse 11 that says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see... It's talking about the fact that there are certain things that you can load onto your heart for another time. You know, and having the word of God is good for your soul today, but knowing and understanding and studying and taking in and meditating the word of God is even more important for tomorrow. Because when times of tragedy and crisis hit you, the only thing that you will be able to glean is what you have put. Oh wait, does that make sense to you? Does that kind of resonate. I think it's the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, which is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. 
as, as I say no to the flesh and as I walk with God, the fruit of the Spirit is, is developed in me. But you need to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is not so much exposed in the summer. The fruit of the Spirit are exposed during the tough times, during the winter times. Let me give you a scenario. Every time I say no to the flesh, every time I go to God and say, God, I surrender everything to you. Holy Spirit, come and flow and move and minister in me. And I, and I continue to walk in that vein. I pick up a crumb from the, the picnic table of life and I store it away for a time which is difficult. Or I go in my devotional times and I read the book of 1 John and something doesn't really happen. There's no, no huge element of, of, of thing that rises up. I just read it. I remember it. I study it. And nothing takes place until a couple of years later when something terrible has happened to me and a brother or sister has, has, has rendered me useless on something. And I hate that person. I dislike that person. I don't understand why they've done it. And I don't ever want to talk to that person again. I just want that person to be gone from me until all of a sudden something comes up in my head that says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love, love is of God. And everyone that love is, is born of God and knows God. He that loves not doesn't know God. And all of a sudden there is something that has come that I have put away in my heart that comes today in a time when it is difficult. And you will, you will fare in the winter what you have prepared and what you have put away for the summer. Isn't that neat? What happens is if you don't prepare, your life will become a sinkhole. And everything will look good and everything will be fine. But what has happened is you've never depleted the resources. You've never, or you've never used, uh, re renewed the resources. And, and all of a sudden the inner streams, the understreams from the word of God and through the fruit of the spirit and through our, and through our spiritual worship are gone, and all it takes is some type of a drought, and all of a sudden our life implodes. It becomes a sinkhole. And all of a sudden we don't have anything to draw from it because we've never put anything in it. The question is, what are the resources of character that you're storing away? We just are in the process of coming out of a pandemic, and I've heard so many people say, man, I'm so tired. This pandemic has wore me out. Well, in the spiritual realm, I believe something has happened. You have lived through this pandemic on the resources that you have gleaned a year or two before the pandemic. And if you didn't build up the resources going into the pandemic, you suffered more than the person who was in the Word, who's hanging on to God in the summertime of their life. I hope that, hope that makes sense. One person has put it this way. Some people see reading the word of God like taking a shot of adrenaline. We get a spiritual high. Oh, this is good. Oh, bless the Lord. This is, this is a wonderful thing. And we do experience that. But I wonder... If absorbing the word of God, preparing spiritual disciplines in our life may be more like taking a vitamin. We take a vitamin. I don't feel any better after I've taken a vitamin. But as I continue to take that vitamin, it builds up my body. It makes it stronger. It fights off diseases in the environment. In the long run, it makes me strong. 
You see, there's a big difference between the one and the other. And let me just say this. As Pentecostals, this is an important lesson to learn because Pentecostals can be adrenaline junkies. Come on. Right? We like to enjoy the time where the presence and the Spirit of God, we like to feel the adrenaline, the high of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to say in any way. I think that we need to seek those times where God meets us at an altar. If is only adrenaline-based, we are missing out on so much, aren't we? I know that... Uh, that fusion is going to be talking about the purpose of, of worship. And it's not about me. It's about giving glory to God. And there's times where I worship God and the adrenaline of the Holy Spirit meets my needs. But I think the times when we worship the Lord and God begins to put something away as I give to the Lord and as I do service to the Lord. He says in Romans 12, you know, surrender your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable worship. That there's things which are put away. A lot of wisdom from the end, is there not? Let's go on. There's, there's another individual which we'll call the Hyrax. Now, the Hyrax in Scripture is also called the Coney. And maybe in one rendition, it'll also be called the Rock Badger. And an ant knows its season, but a Hyrax knows its, its um, security. Can we go back to the Hyrax? This is a Hyrax. I put this person in here because many of you don't even know what a hyrex is. You say, what is a hyrex? What is a coney? Well, a hyrex is kind of described as a robust guinea pig or a rabbit that kind of has rounded ears. And he's gray and can grow to about two feet long, about 10 pounds. And what they do is they spend their time sunning themselves on the rocks. That's what they do. They're in colonies. People think that they're part of the rodent family. They're not. They're part... They're a close relative of the elephant, believe it or not. Apparently, their canines can grow and they can have a little tusk. Interesting. You learned that here at Bethel. Remember that. I know what a coney is. But the strength of the coney is that they know enough to stay on the rock. And when they're sunning themselves, they, you can't see them because they're the same color as the rock. And if an eagle flies by or if a hawk will fly by... They will swoop down, and as they see this, this, this predator swoop down on them, they will hide to catch a coney. It will have to dig through tons of boulders. See, there's something that we can learn from the coney, and the Bible writers see it. Hey, if you stay on the rock, you will be secure. How do you catch a coney? Well, you put the bait or the food on the prairie. You put it on the grasslands. Because once a coney is off the rock, it is vulnerable. What if it's a strong coney? What if it's a courageous coney? It doesn't matter. What if there's a coney that says, listen, eagle, listen, listen, lion, look at that. Look at that, I've been working out. No, the biggest, strongest coney is no match for the smallest lion for the smallest eagle. And if a coney is off the rock, he or she is dead meat. And a person who is off the rock is vulnerable. You and I are vulnerable when we are not on the rock. And it's good to know the rock, not just have a knowledge of the rock. 
I know I did a study a number of years ago on the difference between the Greek word gnosis and epinosis. What's the difference? Well, they both mean knowledge, but one means a knowledge from a book. One can tell you about skiing. The other one is a person who has skied. And there's a difference between one and the other, and it's good to know the rock, to be secure in the rock that you know. It's good to know your strengths, and it's good to know your weaknesses. It's good to know what will pull you away from the rock. And many of us know our strengths, and many of us don't know our weaknesses. And if you don't know your weaknesses, you just have to do one thing. Go to your wife and say, hey, what are my weaknesses? And give yourself 20 minutes, because there'll probably be more than one. No. You find yourself in the prairie when you should be on the rock. The hyrax. Now, another one is... Um, the locust, the grasshopper. And uh, that's an easy one as well because a grasshopper knows its strength. They have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. If you have one grasshopper, it's just a slight problem. If you have a million grasshoppers, you have what's called a plague. And we think, oh yeah, there's no such thing as plagues today. But one of the most serious plagues in all of history happened from the year 2019 to 2021. Happened in Somalia and, and in India, and, and they're still reeling from the results of, this, of this, um, this plague. And locusts, by instinct, know that they need to travel in a group. And so this becomes an important, important issue. And um, it's not just the fact that they know that there's strength in numbers, but there is strength in unified numbers. One grasshopper does nothing. A million grasshoppers kill everything. One person in Christ can do many things, but I tell you what, a million with the same cause can do a whole lot more. One of the most powerful passages in Scripture is Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. It's the time when God is coming down and seeing what the, the people are doing in the Tower of Babel and what is taking place. And God makes a statement in Genesis 11, verse 6. He says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Isn't that an incredible passage of Scripture? If a bunch of ungodly people get together with the same goal and language, they will work together to do powerful things. Well, what does that mean if a bunch of people who are called by God, a bunch of people who are, who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and are serving God gather together to do something really big? There is power in unified numbers. And what this tells us as well is this, that although you must have a personal faith, you can never have an individual faith. You cannot be a Christian alone. You must have other Christians. Uh, I remember a pastor was preaching on this, and he, he gave the story of a, a, of a, a guy who was visiting a, an asylum for the criminally ins, insane, and, and he saw that there were 100 inmates there, but only three guards so guys said, hey, are, are you not worried that, the, that, the, that these um, insane people are going to unite themselves and take over? And the guard said this, lunatics never unite. Locusts do. Christians should. And if we don't, we've forgotten our power. There are some things, some things that you might be going through that if you were unified in a group with people, that they might be able to help you with. That you need their gifts and they need 
your gifts. And there's something about unity. And if you take a look at the Bible, it was filled with community. And the times when the, churches were the church was the strongest was the times when they were united. And the times where they're going through the most difficult times are the times when they weren't. And you really make an impact for God when you're with people. Not so much alone. Locusts know their strength. The question is, do we? So, the ant knows its season. The hyrex or the coney or the rock badger knows its security. The locust knows its strength. And then there is this one weird one, the lizard, or in some, some instances, it is the spider. And I'm glad they mentioned the spider because we can relate to the spider better than the lizard. They can be caught with the hand, yet it's found in king's palaces. And they are aware of their steadfastness and... You know, I said steadfastness because it started with the letter S, and all the other ones started with the letter S. It just doesn't make sense to try and find a word that's not with the letter S. But I guess I could have used the word stubbornness or resilience or stalwartness or righteous obstinance or persistence or determination or grit or insistence or resolve or perseverance or tenacity. All of them would have worked. But we kind of understand it, I guess, in the realm of of a spider because we don't have too many lizards in our house. But if you are to live in a hot environment, you will know about these lizards, these geckos, these wall geckos. I've heard of a lot of missionaries that talk about these wall geckos. And uh, one, I believe, who's from Thailand, he says, you know, I got this gecko behind my curtain. That's kind of where he stays. And we kind of like him there because he actually eats all the kind. He's kind of like the janitor, the wall janitor. He says, but one time I took him and I got a net and I caught him easily. I went into my yard. I threw him in a field 100 yards away. I went back into the house, closed the door, went up the stairs, looked behind the curtain, and that same gecko was there. I don't know whether that was true, but it seemed like it. I remember 30 years ago, young guy in ministry, and I got my, my first house, and there was a deck around it, and I... And it was really nice, and I had my first gas barbecue, and I put it in the corner, and everything was fine until one day I see this spider. Well, spiders don't get along with gas barbecues. They want to crawl in that best gas barbecue, and they want to kind of put a nest in that little tube where the gas goes. And I hate that spider. I know what I'll do. I'll sweep that spider out. So I got my broom, and I swept off that spider. The next day, guess what? There's a spider's nest there, a web. So I swept it off, thinking again that if I will continually discourage this spider, eventually this spider will find another place to build his nest. That was 30 years ago. I can almost guarantee you that if I go back to that house, look on that deck, in that corner, there will probably be a web with a spider with a long beard and a smile on his face. It's true. It doesn't matter whether you're low income. It doesn't matter whether you're upper income. It doesn't matter whether you are in a palace. It is the same story. They are there. You can catch them. You can get rid of them. But for some reason, they are still there. You can light that house on fire. You'll come back in the spot that there was. You'll see that gecko there with an asbestos suit on or something. I'm not too sure. There's something about it. And there's something to be said about that type of attitude in an environment where we quit a lot, where everything is disposable. I'll just get rid of it. It doesn't matter. There is a wisdom in resiliency. There's a resiliency or a wisdom in sticking it out. There are some things in life that require this level of resiliency. Our faith needs to be based on this resiliency. 
to hang in there no matter what. Some of the greatest lessons that you will learn are the times where you have had to wait. Character that has, that has been developed. Lessons that you have learned. People who you have learned to depend on in times like this. And it's important to understand it. There are times where you may be in a position where you have all the knowledge and you have all the qualifications and you're the person, first person, perfect person for the job. And for some reason, God has you there waiting. There's wisdom in perseverance. There's one time a person, I was about to quit something, and uh, I just had every reason to quit. And a close friend of mine said to me, you need to remember something before you quit. You will never celebrate anything that you quit. That kind of stuck with me. You will never celebrate anything that you quit. So with that in mind, you might be on the verge of quitting. The question you have to ask yourself, is God calling you to quit that? Is there something in your faith that is gnawing on you that says, well, let's just give it one more time? Maybe it's just your faith in and of itself that you're questioning. What is that dream that God has you holding on to and you're just saying, I don't know if it's worth it? You know, what are some of those things that, uh, that are in place? Who's that person that you stopped praying for? What is that dream that you stopped thinking about? What is that, who is that neighbor that you stopped witnessing to? Who's that young child that you've stopped encouraging, mentoring? Sometimes it is just about the fact that you need to keep running. Isn't that true? Just keep running. Uh, we just had the Olympics. Um, while the marathon was being run, they talked about the world's record. You know, we always want to know what the world record is. Have you ever stopped to consider what the world record for the longest running of a marathon is? It's a story that happened in, in 1912. Olympics were in Stockholm, Sweden. And there was a Japanese runner, and his name was Shizu Kanakuri. And uh, he was a runner. As a matter of fact, he had um, broken the world's record. And so he was asked to come to the, the Olympics. And at that time, he was only two people that could be afforded by Japan to go into the Olympics. But the problem is the, the, the trip from Japan to Stockholm, Sweden, took 18 days. He had to spend a number of days on a ship. And then from there, he had to spend a number of days uh, on a train and, and probably didn't have a whole lot of money to support himself and maybe not a whole lot of resources for him to live on in this whole process. And he had a couple of days to recover. But when the gun went off and the, and the, uh, the marathon went, and they don't have cameras everywhere at that time. You start in one place and they kind of catch you along the way. Well, what happened was halfway through the, ra the, halfway through the race, this guy passes out absolutely passes out. And a couple in the community pick him up, take care of him for a long time. And he is so embarrassed with this failure that what he decides to do is he decides to return to Japan without notifying the race officials. And, and the Swedish authorities considered him missing for 50 years before discovering that he was living in Japan. And in 1967, he was offered the opportunity to complete his run, and he accepted. 
And he completed the marathon in 54 years, eight months, six days, five hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. He said it was a long trip. Along the way, I got married, had six children, and 10 grandchildren. It's just about finishing the race. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where you are in your faith. It's been a hard time, hasn't it, for some of us? You might be sitting here, and you got the smile on your face, and everything looks good, and you're just there, and you're just feeling like, just feel like giving up, or I have given up, and I just still find myself here. Can I pray for us that God will give us wisdom through some of the small things? Father, I just pray for every single person here, but particularly for people who might be here who don't know Jesus. And the Spirit of God is speaking to them, and they, they need to come to a point where they give you everything. And Lord, I want to think of them first. And if you're here, and, and, and maybe you are online, and you are uh, um, considering things, and you don't really know the Lord, but you would like to. Well, it all starts when you say, God, here, here's, here I am, a sinner. I want you to come in and be Lord of my life. And it's followed by a prayer that kind of goes like this. Dear God, I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for dying for the sins that I've committed. I'm not perfect at all. And I need a Savior. I need you, God, to come into my life. And I need you to be Lord. And so I pray that you come in. And by faith, I accept you. And I accept the gift of Jesus dying on the cross. And, and so, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. And for those people who are here, Lord, welcome to the kingdom of God. But Lord, I would imagine that um, there's a lot of people who are not here by accident this morning. I could tell by the worship. I could tell by the worship, well, there was just that extended time of quietness, that extended time that God was seeking to deal deeply in our hearts. So for those of you who are here and those of you who are just feeling the depth of the Word of God working in your heart, I pray that God will show himself to you. I pray that we will be women and men of the word and of the spirit. That we will know where our source of strength is in you. That we'll be unified together as the body of Christ. And it will be people that will hang on and be steadfast in our faith. So Lord, I pray for a powerful move of the Holy Spirit for those who need it. I pray, Father, that as people drive home, they will sense the spirit of God speaking to them. And most of all, God, I pray that you will be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.